this episode today is a super cool one. I'm really happy to bring this discussion to you that is about finding your strengths. There's probably several more episodes that could come after this one, but this one really talks about digging into what you're good at, how to figure it out, and what you can expect. The difference between life living and working in your strengths versus life outside of your strengths is huge. Buckle up, listen in for this super cool conversation today, and I look forward to your feedback as always. Enjoy. Welcome to the Christina Crow podcast, making the invisible visible. I'm your host, Christina Crow. I'm a psychotherapist and a relentless mental health advocate in Ontario, Canada. I'm bringing you my clinical insights and research-based facts on modern mental health, and I'm going to bring you the experts I rely on to share their wisdom with you. Let's do it, guys. Let's dig a little deeper and make invisible things visible. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Christina Crow podcast, where we connect the dots in search for more balanced mental health. Today, we are making invisible things visible for neurodivergent folks at work. In today's episode, I am speaking with Andre Brousson, an engineer and entrepreneur about all things work life. Andre is the host of the Impulsive Thinker podcast, the podcast for high achieving ADHD entrepreneurs. Andre owns an entrepreneurial consulting engineering company and recently started Tactical Breakthroughs, where he is developing the ADHD Transformation Journey Program. Diagnosed late in life with severe ADHD, the mechanisms and systems he created to overcome his undiagnosed ADHD have helped him succeed. He credits his undiagnosed ADHD as the key to his success and also a factor in restricting success. Like most entrepreneurs, Andre had started multiple companies, the first two of which failed for various reasons. And learning from those failures, Andre now operates three very successful companies, including a self-managing entrepreneurial engineering firm, specializing in niche markets that require unique training experience and impulsive instinct to try new things. While his undiagnosed ADHD created challenges, it also has been the key to his success. Andre, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for making time with oh, your busy schedule. <laughs> oh, thanks, Christina, for having me on and being asked. Um, you know, I love this topic. I love the fact that uh, you got yourself with your 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 podcast, and we can keep spreading this uh, adult ADHD awareness. It's yeah, just, it's important to discuss and not be ashamed about it. A hundred percent. And being able to, I always say to my clients, when you own it, no one can use it against you. Right, and, and that's a good point. You have to own it and accept it at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that takes a long time. It's not like, boom, you get a diagnosis and the next day, okay, you've accepted it or you own it or even oh. know what it means. I think a lot of people get the diagnosis and they're never actually told what it means. Part of that is because it's different for everybody, right? Exactly different for everyone. Yeah. It depends on your environment, but at the same time too is like for me, it was a year and a half, I think, because you all go through the grieving process. Yeah. And then once you accept it, is the only you know, there's only way that was the time when I finally accepted it. My diagnosis it is what it is. I need, I can manage it. 
and then we can move on. But when I was mm -hmm. in the denial phase, it's very hard to work on something you're in denial or angry. Yeah. I feel like a year and a half is, is that's a, that's a faster uptake too. I mean, I sometimes say it's like a two to three year unfolding, you know, different, at different levels. Oh, right? it's the first acceptance yeah. and the next, yeah, yeah. And the, it's like a deeper level, like as time goes on. Right. Yeah. Um, and I completely agree with that. It's all relative to the person. Mm -hmm. um, like for me, I think I started that journey a little before my official diagnosis. I think it was a year and a half before I got the diagnosis, but continually working with my psycho, but not my psychotherapist, what do you call them? Physiotherapist, not physio. <laughs> <laughs> Too many. Psychologists? Psychologists, that's the fancy word. <laughs> <Got it. Got it. laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, based on my intro, yeah, it's definitely an ADHD. I never really heard that before. And it really sounded ADHD-like. Really? <laughs> well, you know, the, through multiple companies doing this, doing that, jumping on this, doing this, oh, yeah. doing that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I wouldn't have it any other way. I've I've been unemployable my whole life. <laughs> so that's interesting that you put it that way. When you're when you're someone who's really capable and really talented and really um, high achieving and have high capacity to feel that you're unemployable, I think is something that will resonate possibly to a lot of people that are listening. And oh. and I don't know if you know this. I think I might have told you that this is my second career. Like I I've had another career before this where I, you know, over the span of 20 years, probably every year to four, four years, I would say, I was moving and needing to do something different, whether it was a different role, a different, you know, area of focus, a different company. And I didn't know what that was. I didn't know that was about a capacity to not tolerate boredom, to just need to absorb and learn new things. And the thing that I think is really interesting and why I wanted to bring you on is that I think when you have had some success in work and career and, you know, you get a performance review at work and people are like, wow, you're really good at this. Like you're really strong at this. You get accolades for it. You get praised for it. You might get bonused for it and, and excel um, that at any point that those same traits could also be your downfall, maybe in your personal life then becomes really kind of confusing and really inconsistent and, you know, really it's confusing also working even though you're getting those accolades yeah you're very good at this you're very good at that you know you're doing but at the same time the other stuff you're not good at is it's over that overrides the good yeah right you know um yeah. like i got that even when my part-time work as a high school kid even my first engineering job i even get this with clients it's like you're really good at all this stuff we love you love with all this other stuff that we don't understand which is adhd is not acceptable or it's not what we normally see or do mm -hmm. so we but i think a lot of us we don't get enough high accolades versus the negative feedback right and then basically what you just described in your background to me that's a traditional adhd person you know you've figured it out you've got it it's no longer interesting it's no longer novel it's no longer challenging and it's probably no longer urgent because you don't want to learn anything new about it. So you swap like some, like I got very lucky myself because my first engineering job full-time, I did university of Waterloo and we had work terms. So I tried different industries. I was all, also weird because I didn't take the high paying co-op jobs because I wanted to try different industries. I thought I was going automotive mine. That was boring. Uh, mining I was too close to home, but then the industry was going down. I tried government work. Whoa, that was painful. Um, then I said, I'll go and try consulting because 
I was raised that consulting companies owned you and they owned your life and you had no life. So I said, instead of being a hypocrite and say, I hate it, I'm going to try it. And I never looked back. So my first job was consulting and it was for a small company that worked for a kind of like a hydro truck has those, you know, list of guys up in the air work on the hydro lines. That was a very small niche market. And whatever I wanted to do or bring to the table, as long as we made money, they didn't care. So it was always interesting, novel and challenging. And I was always able to work on a variety of projects. So then anyway, that satisfied my ADHD tremendously. But my emotional dysregulation, always being told that you're doing, not doing it right, you're not following the books as you're supposed to, not the neurotypical way, affected me getting a lot further ahead, right? Yeah, the getting along with people at work is such an important piece that nobody teaches anybody. And if, if, we, if we've got, if, if you have an actual diagnosis of ADHD and that comes with like, you know, working memory issues, you know, or zone outs or hyper-focus when we're in any of those states, I always say to people, you know, if your hyper-focus is a thing that you make money at beauty, like that, that part isn't necessarily a problem to be solved. The problem to be solved is like pulling back to pay attention to the rest of your life and to your relationships and to all those other things that, that are kind of important in life and that bring us balance. But, mm. but being able to know I guess how to manage yourself, then it leads into that. And then, and then at work, right. How, how to, how to build on your strengths, how to make sure you're staying in your, like Simon Sinek says, work in your strengths 80% of the time and 20% the stuff that, you know, if you can outsource it, outsource it. We don't need to be good at everything. No, you're just making your weaknesses stronger. If you're concentrating on your 20%. So my, and then you just get weaker strengths. Um, so, and that's the one big thing I learned with my companies is my emotional dysregulation got worse when I was doing a bunch of tasks and stuff I don't like, and I, and I did completely despise it and, but I always felt guilty. I should do it. When you start up a company, you got no choice, but once you start bringing on staff, the stuff you don't like you hire out because that gives you more time and energy to focus on the good parts. Like for me, I'm really good at problem solving on the spot and and, and I can take a lot of complex information and I can simplify it for anyone. So the more I spend with this and I'm really good with customers and getting out the true problem to solve is key. And my clients like that because I can get to that solution quicker. But the paperwork, the drawings, the reports, the follow-up, the admin stuff, I ignore and procrastinate because I, I hate it. So now I got people to do it. So I got engineers, I got drafters. I come up with a solution Here's the problem. Here's the solution. This is what we want for drawing. Have a nice day. I'm out of here. Yeah, hand it off. Uh, so there's something really important in what you just said that for anybody listening, whether you you know you've you already know you've got ADHD or whether you're not sure or whether you're just curious and listening, you know, because you want to listen to us, is that people with ADHD have all the same problems as everybody else. But it's when we so so there's all kinds of tasks that people don't want to do that are boring or uninteresting and they just get it done. The difference is the extent of the emotional, you know, dysregulation, upset, irritation, agitation, the intensity of the emotional experience of either avoiding the task, dreading the task, doing the task, everything that's in the buildup to that is completely a different experience for somebody with ADHD. Well, it's an, an intensification magnitude of a thousand to a million. 
Right. And, and it's really hard to explain that to somebody who doesn't have ADHD. Exactly. Right. Yeah. They know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of it. Yes. But, but it's hard to explain from the inside out yeah. where that starts from and then how we try to manage it. Well, like just based on what you're saying, it's hard to explain it. My, my oldest, she was having a lot of issues at school and I pulled her away from the house. We went to the shop and she was starting to talk about how she couldn't explain the problems she was having. It was, it was something to do with impulsivity. Like she was trying to explain that her brain doesn't give her time to think about it. So, and I went, I understand exactly what you're talking about, right? And I explained this to my wife and she still cannot get it. She tries, but she doesn't understand it. But when I, uh, some of the listeners here are going to say, yeah, I don't understand what you're talking about. And there's going to be a lot of you going to say, oh yeah, got it. So when I went to her, I said, okay, you got this thought. It'd be funny to put your finger up that person's nose, right? And then next thing you know, your finger's in the nose. She goes, exactly. I don't have time to think about it. Right. That's impulsivity. Yeah. Well, an impulsivity can be funny and goofy and creativity. Those are like the upsides of impulsivity. Right. Right. Like creativity is an engineer. Holy geez. Like you've got that in spades. And so do we, we don't want to adjust that away, but impulsivity is also the, the function behind aggression and irritation and anger and all those kinds of things too. And those things are all fine emotions to feel as well, because sometimes we should be angry and we have a right to be angry. And just because yes. you're angry doesn't mean you shouldn't be angry. Like it's functional. It's giving us information. What it doesn't do is allow us the pause to figure out what to do with the information. So that, that, yeah. that mantra we have in our practice. And I say, sometimes our emotions are data, not directives. And it's like when you have ADHD, it's like they're just directives all the time. It's like that. that There's that no line. Pause to beat. Yeah, they're blind. Yeah, and, and when it's a biological impulse, it's like, well, you don't think about digesting the burger you just ate for lunch or breathing your next mm -hmm. breath. It's involuntary biological mechanism that just happens in your body, yeah. right? Much like dopamine seeking and, yeah, and often conflict seeking is, yes. is a way oh, to oh, yeah. get a dopamine hit. Yeah, because now you got a challenging situation that's urgent to deal with. Yeah, yeah. crisis. Yeah. We're on. Yeah, crisis. Yeah. That, that's what I'm really good at construction field is a crisis. Everyone wants me for a crisis, but anything else, they don't really need me because I'm too intense. I go too fast and, uh, and whatnot. But well, like the other thing, you're needed. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> to know where you're needed. Well, that's how I've got my, my engineering practice structured. It's now it's like I'm here if you can't. If you got a problem with a project or it's a unique complex problem, I deal with the customer. Other than that, I stay out of it until you need my help or something. And you need to think about it differently. Mm -hmm. um, like they're very structured people. Um, they're very procedural and I'm not. So when it goes outside of the procedure, they don't know what to do. So this is where I'm good at. Or if a construction project's not going well, I can see a different path. But like that's, I've already worked hard over the last 10 years. So I understand what I do best. And then give them my permission to work there and not be guilty, not doing the other stuff that I got staff for. And, and right now they, all they care, they don't care if I sit there with a thumb up my, anyways, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, as long as I'm there when they need me. Um, and that's all the support they need because of my experience and the vision I bring to the company. So.
What do you, when we talk about strengths, um, what do you think about this? So I, a trend that I notice with all the, the adults, let's just say that I've worked with over time who are late diagnosed, when we start trying to figure out what, what the ADHD diagnosis means to them, how it's shown up in their life, what are the things that are targets versus things that are just not a target for them in terms of actionable items, I find that the things that are actually, turns out our strengths as adults are often the things we were criticized for as kids. So we didn't learn to see them as strengths. And then, you know, you're in therapy later as an adult and you're like, wait a minute, it's okay to actually accept. You just, cause you said something about accepting. Once I accepted that this is actually who I am and not only is it cool, it works really well in this job or this field and people will pay me for it and I'm good at it. Why am I trying to like spend so much time twisting myself into a pretzel to be something I'm not? I think that has a lot to do is we were raised the only way you earn money or the only successful people work hard, right? When you talk to people, so how are you, how are things? I'm very busy, that's a badge of honor, right? And right now what I'm trying to do is to, to work less, but to be more valuable and then you actually get more produ- production out of that, out of the other people. Yeah. Um, now, like you said, yeah, it's not something that you were praised at as a kid or even now. Um, you don't get a lot of praise for your strengths because your customers know that value. And in their minds, that's why they hired you. So you should know. But here's the flip side. Not only is you never praised as a kid because it was so natural, you don't even see it yourself. Because this is the confusing part, because it's easy, it's fun as hell, and you can do it all day. And a lot of times you're like, this is so easy, everyone should be able to do it. Yeah. So if like, you say that, for this, like seriously, people right. are going to But if you yeah. have that thought, this should yeah. be, everyone should be able to figure it out. That's your strength. Yeah. So you feel guilty for charging that because it's very easy to you. So that's why you don't want to work hard or work lots. You want to look to work easier because you're working in your strengths. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a lovely place to be. Oh, it, you can do it all day, every day. And your energy never ends. Right. And then also identifying how you, your, your best habits or how you do certain things. Like for me, like I call the, my podcast, the impulsive thinker, because one of my best habits is able to, Quiz people come up with impulsive ideas and solutions, but I need someone else involved. I can't do it alone. So the only way I come up with new ideas with someone else. So now I really structure myself. If I need to solve a problem, I need people there. That's why when I go to construction sites, deal with the clients, they can talk all they want. They've been staring at this problem for months. And then all of a sudden it pops into me. That's how I came up with the impulsive thinker. Hmm. That's the impulsive collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. And then my strength to collaboration is I put the pieces together very quickly mm-hmm. while the other people, they have the, the strength to bring all the right information or all the problems, or they're able to execute on my solution. It's, it's true collaborating. This is why it's, it's interesting. You're making me think of often. Um, so I have a social media account that kind of accidentally has become a bit focused on ADHD. There's lots of other things I do, but that that's mm-hmm. or there's there's a lot of misinformation out there. So there's a lot of questions to be answered. And people will often say, well, what do I do about this? And they'll ask kind of a, spe- not specific to them and their medical history, but just a specific, like, what, how do I deal with this eight-year-old 
my kid's doing this. And that's, it's a bit of a general question. And it's kind of like, there's not one answer to that. Cause I need to know so much about you and your family and your child, because every good answer is actually a really tailored and customized answer. Well, the environment on feedback and the environment. Yeah. Environment yeah. is important. Right. But it, it's kind of like what you're saying, like the collaborative process and coming up with solutions is you can't do that by yourself, no matter how much of an expert you are. No. And then the way I was raised and the way that I started my companies, um, the badge of honor, or and plus the other, my, the other thing that I really had, I didn't realize is that I always ran 200 miles ahead of everyone else. I was intense. Go, go, go. Uh, you know, dog on the bone, I go and everyone's like, whoa, you're too much for us. Right. So that kind of makes you solo and do everything by yourself. Then, you know, with a little bit of my upbringing and my career, I got to not trusting people. So if you don't trust people, you got to do it all yourself. Then we get, so it's, it, you know, once you get in these routines and habits, you got to identify them and, and get out. So you're no longer working as a team. There's a reason why you got a team. I hire people that are not good at what I'm doing. I hire people that are good at stuff I don't like to do. Yeah. And if, yeah. And, but you're a race to say, no, you're not, you're supposed to know it all. You're supposed to be able to do it all. Right. But no, that's not the point. They really enjoy doing the stuff I hate. I got a guy here that just loves crunching numbers. <laughs> just loves crunching numbers. I oh hate crunching God. numbers. Yeah. So I say, uh, this is what I'm thinking. Prove that it works or doesn't work or size the beams. And he's yeah. all over it. Great. You know, it takes me a few hours because I hate it. And he'll take him 15 minutes because he just loves it. That's amazing. Right? Yeah, so, it's amazing when you get to a point and you figure that out. Yeah. And, and seeing it and opening your eyes. Um, and, then, like, and the thing is for me, just to go back a bit, talking about strengths, um, my whole life I have fought to be allowed to be unique from a kid. I, from a kid, I knew I wasn't like my family. I wasn't like anyone else. But why couldn't I not just be me? Because I knew this is how I work best. And there's nothing wrong with me because I'm quicker at this stuff than you are. You're quicker at this stuff. So I've always fought the right to be unique, right? And then I got into, you know, I've probably done every assessment that's out there, read every book, but to identify strengths and undiagnosed, I was actually identifying my strengths. So I could actually identify my weaknesses to make better, to fit in the neurotypical world. So I'm really about finding people's strengths, understand your strengths, work with it, and be able to advocate for yourself. Even my kids, they've got a few assessments there. They know how to communicate to their teachers. Everyone receives information differently. Everyone follows procedures differently, risk, how they assess risk, and how they deal with the tangible world. Everyone's unique. Why can't they be unique? Why do you have to follow the same pattern, Right. And that's one thing I've always fought. And I still fight to this day. Um, and I just want to raise awareness that whoever's listening right now, I don't know, figure out what you do best and what you like to do and try to work with it. You can still go to your employer. You can still go to your family and just say, this is where I do. As long as you demonstrate to your superior that if you can work more on this type of stuff, you'd be more productive. You can make more money. Why would they stop you? I think the thing that you're saying there is really important is that part of going to them with a positive ask. These are the conditions with which I am successful. How can you help me create these conditions? Because then we're cooking with gas and vice right. versa in your relationship. Because you went up right? to them saying, I can help you. Yeah. 
and with factual information, or like say, if, if, if we can come up with a solution to make me work better, I can, here's how you can look better. If I can help your department increase sales by 5%, well, you just help that, that makes them look good. Now they most, you know, I'm not going to say all bosses are good, but the majority are good or will work with you. But you, like you said, you have to come up with a potential solution, not for them to solve the problem. Right. And, and it's shocking how many, I think people in people manager places are really afraid of that. They're afraid of allowing you to tweak a process because there's no guaranteed algorithm that proves that what you're saying is true. And so I think people can spin their wheels and get stuck there for a while. If they're not in a progressive place of employment or a place that's very top down. Or if it's very bureaucratic, it's outside yeah, the norm. They just don't know how to do it. Yeah. yeah. And then how are you going to treat the other people or whatnot? So yeah. it, it gets a little tricky, but it, I think it's, I don't know, with my attitude, uh, like I just taught my youngest going to school to talk about a situation that, you know, the worst, the worst, all you can do is ask and the worst they can say is no. But if you don't try, you don't know. That's but right. as long as we can say, hey, that's acceptable, not acceptable, you come to a resolution. Yeah. It's not one way, my way or their way. We right. can always come to a resolution. That act of working through those scenarios with, with your child is such a wonderful um, way to manage the intensity of emotional moments. And so we, we've, intensity's come up a few times and who are we kidding? Um, it could be said maybe as a trend that people with ADHD are intense and they probably don't know how intense they are, especially if they're not diagnosed yet. Right. And so there's oh, no. self-awareness is there. So the intensity you bring in certain situations can be awesome and exciting and it's interpreted as passion. And the other times that intensity can be interpreted as overbearing and, you know, aggressive and all sorts of yeah, things. Trying to make them make you look bad. Yeah. And that can be a hard thing. I think for a long time, well into adulthood to learn how to manage is to manage the intensity. Well, for me, the longest time, the intensity is that's normal. Yeah. If I feel, if I, if I'm less intense, I'm bored. Right. Like, so for me being intense and, you know, and working in and going 150 miles an hour to me, it was normal. And not knowing that's not normal in the normal sense, how I left people behind. But yes, now with the awareness, I now see that if I'm going to start running, I got to make sure my team's prepared to chase after me or be with me, or at least have enough information they can catch up to me later. Yeah. How do you do that? Like, do you do anything differently now to manage your own, both your own intensity, but maybe like how it's perceived by your team or people that are important for you? Um, and you did say, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago or something. Yeah. Like, um, if no one would do the job or the task that's required in the time frame that I wanted before diagnosis, I just take it and run. Right. And, you know, our sense of time is crap now or not now. Right. Um, and then with my abilities, I can read a lot of complex information, decipher it, come up with a solution very quickly, lightning fast compared to other people. And then I want the solution now. Let's go. Because you know why I procrastinate for two weeks and the project's due tomorrow. <laughs> right. Um, but now that I got a team and now I know my abilities is because that before it was me trying to do it all. Now I know I'm only good at figuring out what the problem is, coming up with a solution, argue with my team to see what's the best way to go to meet codes and regulations, me to argue with it because I just like to argue. And then once we've come up with a solution, 
I walk away. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I have to meet with them right after I meet with the client, not wait a week or two at the deadline. Right. So what do you so do? So the sooner I can hand it off, mm-hmm. but I do it in a way that I hand it off and I can walk away from it. Okay. And they just need to, if they have a question, they can ask me a question, but they no longer rely on me to do any more portions. Um, and then I can leave. And if I'm getting intense, I got a little early warning, but at least my team understands when I do get intense, there's, there's a reason, not just because I just want to be intense or emotionally explosive or reactive. It's just, this, there's a trigger. What's going on? So it sounds like you with your team have a, a healthy communication in that, you know, you're intense, you own it. They know what happens, but it sounds like maybe the message is they also know not to take that personally. Yeah. Whether um, they do it, or don't. I mean, people are people. Yeah. But that's, like, it's not personal. It, no, it's not personal. And when I communicate to them, this is like, no, like I tell them, I says, all right, when you come to me, ignore the first minute and a half. My reaction within the first minute and a half, just ignore it. Yeah, don't take it personally. Cool. It's yeah. just my brain reacting. And then it goes, oh, wait a minute. Let me think about it. Either, yeah, you have the right to continue that or it's not as bad. Mm-hmm. So that kind of communication. But, and the other thing too is my engineering company, an entrepreneurial engineering company is an oxymoron on its own. But the, the other part term of entrepreneurial is that we are growing. We try a variety of stuff. We're not just a, a company that just kind of does the same thing consistently. We do a lot of variety of things and we want to grow and try new things. So my intensity helps us get there. So they need that intensity to push me, to push them, to push the company forward. Um, But if this company gets to a size where there's too many people and we can't be entrepreneurial because to sustain that business indeed needs a different way of thinking, um, then I'd have to step away or at least really isolate myself and only deal with the top, you know, one or two people while everyone else can be safe from my intensity. And that's also an entrepreneurial entrepreneur thing, not only ADHD and ADHD amplifies it, but because I'm never satisfied with one goal. Yeah. From, so, so even the way that on engineering is set up, it's a little bit almost like medicine in the sense where, you, you figure out the type you like, mechanical, chemical, biomedical, aerospace, what you're drawn to. And then it's like you, you stick to that. Yet in that fulfillment of projects in that field, you do still need to work with all the other types of engineers, right? And so learning to communicate across, is that challenging in any way? Like if you're a mechanical engineer needing your design guys or the build guys to do different things like how does that for me it's that's one of my abilities one of my strengths is to be able to go to a construction site and talk to everyone like one buddy told me he says i can go i can talk i can go to the top floor and talk to the ceo and then come right out to the bottom floor into the hole of a building and deal with the trades so i'm able i'm like almost like a translator for everyone so i do have that ability to to discuss and get collaborative. Um, I, I do get impatient when they start playing politics and delay games and no one wants to take ownership of a problem and make excuses to delay it. Just own up to it. 
say you made a mistake and let's just solve the problem. Who cares about blame? Um, but, and then the other thing too is that like, I got a buddy, he, he's been doing, he graduated with me. He designs the same type of structure every day. He's been doing it for 20 some years. That's what he loves, right? That's a lot of the engineers. They like to get in that rut. Well, sorry, for them, it's not a rut. Um, into that zone and that's all they want to do and they're okay with that repetition for me i designed two buildings i'm done like i don't want it's nothing it's the same old same old so that's why i like dealing with different types of equipment construction site problems is great i like it when it doesn't go well because that's where it gives you a problem to solve yeah right and my adhd kicks in and that's when everyone appreciates me but if it's a long-term you know a six-month project people don't like me on those projects because yeah. i get bored and impatient because it's taking too long right and do you, okay, so on your team, do you guys have a system where you've got everybody or people that give you feedback about you as a leader? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I got my What's engineering manager like? many years ago. He actually came up to me. He goes, uh, do you have anything to do today? I said, no, I'm out. He goes, I can tell because you're disrupting everyone. Go home. <laughs> That's wonderful. Right? So yeah. I went to the rest of the team because he came in my office and told me that quietly. And I went to the rest of my team. Yeah. And I said, Phil just told me to go home because I'm disruptive to everyone. And everyone's heads kind of went down like, oh, crap, oh, crap. I said, mm. he has permission to do that. So does everyone else. I did not know that, you know, where how to get a hold of me. That's what they call radical candor, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's open, honest. You know, if we got a problem, like, like it's, it's, that's, that's the way I rule. Not everyone does, but it's open, honest. And I have the same thing, right? We're all about, you know, if you make a mistake, own up. Let's figure out what happened so we can avoid it next time. And if it's big enough that can have someone else in the company can benefit from it, we share it with everyone. Not so we can ridicule the person who had the issue, just so everyone can learn from it. But if you repeat the same mistake over and over, that's a different conversation. And I tell every new hire, I want you to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Find new mistakes because that means you're growing, you're yes. learning. Because if you learn from your previous oh, mistakes... You've learned and not going to repeat it. So that means you found another mistake because you tried something. I'm okay with you trying stuff. And I'll tell you one thing. I've, I've messed up so many times, but as an entrepreneur, you get kicked down, beat up. You fought, then you're, you're kicked down so many times and it's, it, you're resilient. Like the only way to be a, a successful entrepreneur is being resilient. You get kicked, you go down, you get up. You get kicked, you go down, you get up. You keep going. If you or your child was given a diagnosis of ADHD, but then not really told what it means or how it might change throughout their life, maybe you've been given a prescription for medication, but not had the opportunity to engage in the rest of recommended treatment, either ADHD adaptive therapy or ADHD coaching. Maybe you've known since you were a kid that you have ADHD, but the early attempts at treatment didn't go so well. Maybe you're a parent who's worried about making the right choices for your kid regarding medication. If there's gaps in the information that you think you were supposed to have gotten, then this is the course for you. DIY ADHD is a self-paced online course created by yours truly, Christina Crow, a registered psychotherapist in Ontario, Canada. You'll get all of the foundational information to fill in all the knowledge gaps you might not even know you have reclaim your life. 
click the link in the show notes to learn more about this resource, decide whether or not it's for you. And if you move forward, use the promo code CCPODCAST for 15% off. Well, I think the other thing too, in speaking about entrepreneurs and say like from a mental health context is it can be really lonely and isolating. And so, so going through that stuff, that's hard, but when you have a team of people that you can be um, honest and transparent about what the hard things are and celebrate the wins with, and, and if you're working by yourself finding a network of people or other people that are like-minded can be so important because that feeling of knowing that failure, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes because I don't even love the word, but that's how we learn. That's how humans learn. Toddlers learn how to walk from falling and getting- My biggest, my biggest right? opportunities came because of every obstacle that came in my way. And a lot of them were failures. Yeah. And it doesn't feel great at the time, but like having faith in a process- or believing in yourself, like knowing that it's okay, you can do it. It's okay. So what happened? What occurred? What led up to it? What can you do next time to avoid it? That's what every successful entrepreneur, it's all about the failures and the mistakes. If, 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 if your company is going on and you're having no problems, you're going to wake up one day, your company is gone. Because if you're not having any problems, yeah. you're not learning yeah. anything either. You're just rolling with it. It sounds like with your group, and I know you use the word self-managed team, and I do the same thing, actually. I have a very specific, intentional way with how we manage our group. And that piece about being able to articulate your feedback process and your intention before you deliver messages is so important because that's how we get rid of misunderstanding and miscommunication and the ability to, to check each other and challenge each other. And there's so much respect in that, right? Well, and, and, that, and that's the other thing I really credit to my ADHD is I got customers. Like I, I've asked, here's another thing. If you want to understand your strengths, email out to your customers. What is it that you value me for? What do I do that brings you value? And you'll be surprised what comes back. I have one customer says, I use you, but every time I deal with you, you frustrate me because <laughs> you tell me what I need to know Mm. and what I need to do. And it's always the right thing. Yeah. Right. So I deal with stuff a little quicker than most. Everyone says I'm insensitive. You know, I don't play, I don't play politics, but in the end, I just, this is going to be a potential problem. I want to deal with it now, not when it gets too big. And that frustrates people because one of my abilities is the little habit or the little thing we're doing right now, I can see it get really, really bad months from now. I can foresee a disaster in six months. So what can we do to correct that? Yeah. You're managing scenarios up front. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it's like, you know, when someone comes up to me and, you know, I'm sorry, you wasted a bunch of time. Not, you didn't listen to me. You know, I can, I can spend 15 minutes to, you know, it's a, you know, I sit in a nice way, but not take 15 minutes. Just I'm, I'm direct. And I like, and I like my ADHD for that because I just get straight to the point and we move on. And the people I like, you say, if you can have a self-managing team, that means you brought on the right people. Same mindset. I'm a very, we're all about personal growth mindset here. I don't want sheep. I don't want to be watching over your shoulder all the time. I hired you for your head, for your ability. And I expect you to say, if you're going to get done by a certain day, that's done by a certain day. If it can't be done by then, we need to talk about it as soon as we can. 
because that's not a problem I want to solve. I will get explosive because it was avoidable. Right. Right. And, and, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, there's a lot of pressure on. Oh, there's a huge amount of pressure. And if you don't have the right person on the bus, you got to get rid of them as quickly as possible because it, it becomes a toxic environment. Yeah, your episode that you recorded, uh, I think two before, where you talked about the right hiring decisions and finding the right people for your team. Oh, the, my hiring mistakes. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a great one. <laughs> I really enjoyed Thank that. Thank you. Because I think it's it's important, right, um, to know based on yourself who you need to work with. Because it's real. It is really easy to hire people that are like you. Because that's it's it's nice. We get along. It's, it's, it's natural. Okay. We're clicking. Yeah. It's natural. There's shared values. And then to have, I think, maybe some shared core values, but then also be really deliberate about looking for skill sets that you don't have so that the full team is complemented. Exactly. But then being able to, I think what, you know, what I'm kind of picking up that you do with your team is to talk a lot about how we communicate in the ways we work together so that Mm -hmm. everyone has a chance to shine, so that everyone's individual strengths have a chance to develop and grow and not be stifled under a top-down way of it must be this way. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and, the, and the thing that really throws people off work for us, we're about mindset. So when we, we sit down every year, we talk about the mindset, not but your technical abilities, not throws people off. And it scares people if we're talking about mindset, ambition, growth, what we call the jade uh, attitude. You're not better than everyone. Um, and if they don't have the mindset, then they don't work here, especially if they don't have a growth mindset. Um, and we're really big. Okay, we hire you for the role, but over the next year, I'm going to try and figure out what you're really good at, what your strengths are. And then we'll kind of end up in a year or two, two, three years, we'll create your own world that you're superb at. Yeah. Right? But yep. you can't you can't figure all that out right when you hire them. You got to observe and see and try. You need to know people, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's and really then people cool. Are there. Yeah, people react very well to that. And it's not for everyone. Not everyone likes that. It's a small specific through, but, you know, stick to your guns. Um, as an entrepreneur, you're in charge. It's your company. It's your boss. Um, and if you don't, because I'll tell you one thing, it's energy sucking. If you just got to keep working with people that doesn't work well with you, and then you can lose people. The good people will leave if the toxic people stick around. And the good people will not tell you either. Have you, have you always been an entrepreneur from the beginning or were you, went, you were an employee for a while though? To- uh, I was an employee technically. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a company of two. So I was kind of treated as an entrepreneur. Then I bought into it a little bit later. Yeah. But I've, I think I've been always been an entrepreneur. I was a kid. Okay. I mean, so then maybe it's not a personal experience, but even the people that you work with, you know, if you're, if you're not an entrepreneur, so say you're an employee and you, mm-hmm know know you have ADHD or don't or know there's there's just certain things that that you work well with and certain things that you don't how do you coach people to go and advocate for themselves with their with their boss to um get what they need especially if they're kind of fearful of of doing that for whatever right. reason if you understand your strengths and what you're good at and where you bring value and you promote that and you go say this is where I'm good at or like if you know if you're easily distracted, you know, and you're you know in an open office concept, you're like, hey, my best focus time is between these times. If I can just have a corner by myself where no one's around, I can get 20% more productivity out. Those kinds of so you can still communicate it. 
um, in a different way without saying ADHD. But I think if you approach it from these are my strengths and my abilities, and for me to be successful, I might need these kind of little mini accommodations. And it's more about managing your strengths and for your boss to utilize those strengths so they look good. You know, as long as you come up with solutions, I don't think it really matters what the reasoning is. Yeah, it's interesting. And then so by asking that, just for anybody listening, I'm not suggesting that you should or shouldn't disclose your ADHD at work. It's a super personal decision and it, it's totally based on individual, you know, uh, workplaces and HRs and companies and company cultures and, and even your own personal feeling about your, your health. But um, there's no doubt that being able to stand up for what you need to perform best whether it's in work or in your romantic relationship or as a parent or within your family, knowing yourself well and knowing your brain well are just kind of critical to being able to move forward, I think, and take care of yourself, right? And to advocate for yourself, just in saying, like a lot of people I think misunderstand advocate to Mm -hmm. advocate. It's just like, I'm just letting you know how I work. That's not advocating. That's just telling someone how you work. That's one way. Advocating is to initiate a conversation where we can come to an understanding or a solution. Right. And when I tell my kids, like my, my oldest needs a lot of details. And if she doesn't get enough details from this, from the teacher for the assignment, she wastes a lot of time because she can't figure it out. So I advocate. She goes, now you go to teachers. I need a little more information for me to be able to start this effectively. Right. So I come to you, I need a little bit something, but here's the reason why. So we can all be successful. And it's a two-way street. Well, well, yeah. And, and it's not ever just one conversation when you're learning how to advocate and, and get what you need from someone in a position of power. It's multiple conversations and there's some trust and social proof, I guess, it has to go both yeah. ways. And yeah, I yeah. do this with my kids, like whether it was the first one doing the Friday night dancing around like I'm gonna <laughs> ask to get out and go do yeah. what I want to do like that you know that thing they do and you're mm-hmm. the parent on the couch you're like oh you know your teenagers is waiting they're waiting to come and ask you for the car or for whatever <laughs> down to my younger guy saying you know mom I just like I've done all my things I just want to be able to stay up another half hour and play you know VR with my friends and I'm like okay so what can you do to put me in a position honey where I can't say no like what do you mean I'm like well you know, I can say no at any given moment because, you know, you haven't brushed your teeth yet or you haven't put your lunch bag in the fridge yet. Or I can come up with eight things right now that as a parent, without even thinking about it and being totally whatever in my power as a parent, I can just say no, because I can, because there's things I can think of. But if you get rid of the things I can think of, I can't even come up with something to say no. You've put me in a position that I kind of have to recognize how awesome you're being. And there's no reason to say no. So yes go ahead. And I don't want you to be grumpy in the morning. So you need to think about future you and can you manage it? And so it's this long collaborative conversation where you, you teach them how to own stepping up to what it is they're actually asking for. Yeah. I I think that's a valid, awesome point. It's a collaborative, more than one conversation. So it's growth. You know, the only way you can grow it's by advocating yourself so that they can grow with your abilities. And then you, as long as like, and the thing is you got to understand how can you help them be better too with your abilities, right? 
Um, but yeah, that's a very valid point. It's nothing is ADHD. We want it immediate. It's got to be immediate and quick, but it takes time. And, and to communicate, and what I really heard what you're explaining is it's all about communication. Now, but the key to that is non-judgmental communication. Then you can get somewhere and you have to listen. To do that, someone needs to talk, someone needs to listen and hear what was being said, not make assumptions and just ignore what's being said. Yeah. Which means you have to pick the right time. Does yes, right yeah. time, right topic. Yeah, like when with your boss, it's not like right before the, the intense budget meeting or right <laughs> in a moment where they're rushing off to something else or in the bathroom or you know what I mean? It's like book intentional time to sit down and have a and even to be able to say to someone, I really need your presence right now. I, I need to talk to you about something that's kind of hard for me to bring up. And so, you know slow down the pace of what's going on and say, I need to talk to you about some things that are important to me because I really value being at this company, right? And and block that time and make it intentional. Intentional, you know? non-judgmental yeah. communication. Yeah, like we're all here trying to get the same thing done. We just have a couple of different ideas about how to go about doing and, it. And honestly, I think the majority of employers want that. They want to help people. Um, again, small percentage or not, but I think, I think it's a lot in our heads that convince us that they won't listen, they won't do it. Um, so, you know, I've always, you know, I just say, try it and see what happens. But I think, like you said, intentional, non-judgmental communication is key and small. You know, <laughs> I remember a couple of times where I, I just threw it all out there, but I, maybe I should have had it over five different conversations. There's that intensity thing again. Totally. Yeah. So being able to pay, like pacing, pacing, yeah. like talk about pacing with everybody, right? It's so huge. Yeah. Uh, but for every time I've approached a difficult subject and when it was approached that we can both solve it. So we're both successful. Yeah. 99% of the time it worked well. Yeah. I, but you got, it's gotta be beneficial for both. And, and to be able to articulate that again, right? Like I think people will, this whole piece about intensity, being assertive, yet likable enough to be able to get along with people at work. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think there might, there could be a gendered bit of a thing, like how we're socialized. Like, I think, I think it's, it's tougher. I will say it's tougher, I think, for women to be assertive and likable than for men to be. And well, you are raised to be assertive, hetero- right? Heteronormative way, yeah. 100%. And so then getting comfortable in that role and being able to, to be both, um, I think takes some relational skill for sure. And like figuring out both owning yourself and, and understanding your value to your point, I think that you've been making really well. Um, and then letting other people do the thing that they're good at. Yeah. Right. And, and, and if you, if you can dish it, you better take it too. Mm-hmm. Dish it. Hundred percent, and then I think some self awareness for people. So <laughs> people can dish it, and then not know that actually how it's being received is that they've just dished it. So then it comes back, and they're crushed on the inside, yeah. not recognizing that they kind of made it seem like, like if you go around in the world being all tough, like nothing bugs you, and things do bug you, but you don't tell people that you were hurt by something. No one will know that they shouldn't do that with you, right? And so, again, like articulating where we're coming from, 
it might just seem like something that's like, oh my God, I got to go like do a preamble to everything I say. No, it's not. It becomes, it's really fast and, and simple once you get used to doing it. But it's a, just about expressing an awareness that there's another human there who thinks differently, which is kind yeah. of, is kind of what we want as, as neurodivergent people, right? Yeah, we're all different. And like I say, like, uh, I forget who I was talking to, but I ended up, it was another interview and I just said, you know, the next person you talk to, Mm-hmm. find out what's unique about them that you appreciate mm-hmm. that's different from you yeah and then do it again you know it's, we're all different we all work differently yeah. and it might be weird in your eyes yeah but if it achieves results like that's the other thing that throws us uh, people off we're a results oriented company i don't care how it's done as long as we get the results mm-hmm. i'll let you figure out how you do it your way because you do it way better your way than i would you would do it my way well, it communicates so much trust. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That communicates trust that builds, you know, trust in the group, which builds safety, which means people can be free to be themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all I want. Freedom and the power to be unique in yourself. Yeah. Imagine that. That's so nice to be in a place where you've actually created the thing that works. Well, and that's the other thing too, is most entrepreneurs, you don't realize, and this is where a lot of us fail, is we actually create our own company so we can create a place that we are accepted. <laughs> yeah like the last place i was at i wasn't wasn't the right environment for me so i said you yeah. know mess it up and screw it i'm out i'm gonna create i'm gonna do this a mindset this 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 and then you get back to oh that's not how everyone does it so you get into trouble you start hiring bad people then you gotta get rid of them then finally just know this is how my it is my sandbox it is my rules yeah but you're welcome to play yeah right I remember this in high school, the situation happened and try to conform and the situation happened. And I just looked around and said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to be myself. If you want to follow, follow. If not, that's your loss. Mm -hmm. Right. And then after that, I was able to get more friends. I was more confident. And when I went back into conformity, I got into more trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, with customers, I tried to do things that's normal. Then I lost customers. And now I do things out of the ordinary. I got good customers dedicated customers because they like dealing with us unique stuff yep wind thing i'm a crazy person when i get out there and fun but we're not for everyone well i so i think it it, it can't be un, underscored enough that if if you've got any i think probably neurodivergence but adhd in particular finding the place where where you enjoy doing stuff or you have flow when you do the thing you're doing for free just because you like it so much yeah, start charging. That's amazing. Yeah, start charging. <laughs> but, like that's the place to as if you've got a kid who can do that as a parent, you mm-hmm. that's an aptitude. We've got to we've got to nourish that and build that and support that around them. And if you've got a kid that's on their 87th hobby and you're freaking out as a parent because you don't know what their thing is yet, it's okay. Yeah, They'll that's figure fine. it out. It's fine. Yeah, it's exactly. Good. Kids with ADHD have to be allowed to quit because we've got to try the next thing. Yeah. And, and we can't ex- have expectations on them like we would have on a traditional neurotypical trajectory. And being and able to manage that is really important. And if they have an interest that you don't quite understand or get or don't think they're going to make money down the road. It's okay. Now you're thinking about yourself. Yeah. Let right. them do it. Yeah. There's a YouTube video on it somewhere. Learn it. Yeah. So <laughs> either they get tired of it or it might turn into something. And, you know, my youngest might become an artist and I think she's going to be okay living paycheck to paycheck. That's her, that's her style. That's just 
her personality. There's no way I can do it, but I'm not talking her out of that potential. Well, yeah. And like, even for me, like math is like, I just got a case of chips from Costco because I could not calculate the size of the bag I was buying. So I have like 12 bags of giant and <laughs> like math is not my strong suit. And neither was like physics or like chemistry or anything in high school. I can do all the other stuff really well, but I've got a kid that wants to be an engineer. I know more about space and aerospace and SpaceX and NASA and rockets than I could have ever known because I've had to take an interest in the thing he's interested in so I can stay connected to him. And that's what we have to do. Like there's a transition in parenting too, right? Like when this plays into all of it, I think the way you um, align yourself and identify strengths in other people at work, the same thing you do as a parent with your kids is that everyone's good at something. And even if you don't get it, um, we have to, yeah, when, when they become teenagers, instead of throwing them in the car and they come everywhere with us, we have to start chasing them down a little bit and making sure we're still connected to the things that they're interested in. And it's a, it's a really cool opportunity to learn new things and to, I'm, I marvel, I'm, I marvel at all of our boys and the things that they can do and the things that they learn and they're interested in because it's so different for me. I think they're super cool people. And it's nice. My oldest, she's in the sharks, has been for eight years. So every time I go to the aquarium, it's amazing what she knows. Scientific turn. Like it's, I I learned a lot. Yeah. So, but yeah, like, and and I think that's another key thing is you can make or break a kid's future by quashing some of this stuff, whatever they're interested in, support it. All they want to do is listen to show that they're smart. And then if they can teach you as a parent, You've made their week, they've made their month. So I just kind of want to, I'm mindful of our time because I could talk about this stuff all day too. But if, if you're thinking of the average person out there who's either on the cusp of being an entrepreneur or early, in, like say in the first year of entrepreneurship, are there things like words of wisdom you would impart having gone through it and been through it a few times now that, that you think are important? takeaway if you're an entrepreneur are you an opportunity entrepreneur or a situational entrepreneur so situational entrepreneur means you just lost a job and you need to make money and this is a situation and you actually prefer to have a job mm-hmm. uh, oper- an opportunity entrepreneur is i don't want a job i want the next opportunity and like for me so if you're going to be a situational entrepreneur i think you're just best to try to get the job and the comfort that's how you work um stick with that because there's just going to be a lot of emotional and mental anguish continuing on uh that path but as an oper- opportunity entrepreneur um it's not an easy road everyone thinks oh you got your own business it must be easy but it's not even if it's up and going successful after 10 years there's always hiccups there's always problems uh your first three years are very tough then three to five is the next toughness um, but the way I talk, I remember one buddy says, I was thinking I start my own firm and I looked at him and said, there's no way you can start one. And he said, why? He said, because the first time you get kicked down and put your, and get your face smashed into the mud, you're going to stay in the mud and crawl away. Mm. The thing is, is entrepreneurship is getting kicked, face in the mud, stepped on by 200 people, still get up and yeah. keep going. And it's up and down. It's a persistent resilience to that. It's never 
easygoing. It always challenges. To me, it's great. I love it. It's stressful. And like you mentioned earlier, it's lonely. It's very lonely. Even if you have a good team, you can't talk. They don't get, they don't get your position, your drive. So you need to surround yourself with like-minded people. Yeah, other, that, other owners, other entrepreneurs. Other owners that yep. are either in the same industry, but have the same values. To me, it's more, more the so than the, in the same industry. It's values. And if you can find a couple like-brained people, like ADHD, that helps a lot. And then you can all share the same struggles you're having from different industries. Like I'm in the program called Strategic Coach. We're all equally, we are entrepreneurs, highly successful. And we, go, we meet regularly and we talk and work through things. Um, it's not easy. It's enjoyable. It's inspirational, but it's hard. Um, be true to yourself, understand yourself and stick to what you know best and how you do it, understand your strengths, and it's golden. But it's not easy. Is there a strengths assessment you recommend? The um, there's, there's three. Um, like I said, I've done almost every assessment out there. The majority of them are personality, which are behavioral, which changes. Um, you can change. But I got the Colby A index, K-O-L-B-E. Um, and... This is Kathy Colby. She came up with a concept. There's three parts of the mind, your cognitive and your affective. So cognitive is what you know, mm -hmm. uh, your knowledge, and then affective is your feelings and emotions. Like that's what most of the personality tests is your affective. What her, she's got the cognitive mind. You're doing part of the mind. Okay. Um, so you get four numbers. One is about your fact finder, how you deal and share information. Your follow through is how you systematize yourself. Quick start is how you assess and deal with risk and uncertainty. And then the implementer is how you deal with tangible space. So you take this assessment, you get the four numbers. I'm a fact finder. I need a lot of information. I don't need a strict system. Um, I don't like systematic systems and I can, I'm okay with risk. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hands-on, hands-off conceptual person. I've had this MO my whole life and I can actually manage my team. It's a great communication tool. Um, so and it's actionable. Uh, the other one is the Clifton Strengths. Yep. It uh, used to be one. the Strengths Finder 2.0. It yep. is an affective assessment, but it's not a personality. It's your, I use it with my team. You yep. got the, here's your top five strengths. Like I'm a learner. So I just need to learn. doesn't matter what it is, the process. Mm -hmm. And individualization is how, so my second strength is how I want to know how you tick. How do you, why do you react? So, and it's all actionable. So those two, my team do, we hire them, we do it. Um, and we work with that. And another one that just came out is called the print, the way you are uh, with the Hertz, Paul Hertz group. Uh, we'll have in the show notes for you. Um, it identifies two numbers, but it identifies your unconscious motivators. Um, and I use that as once you've progressed beyond Colby and StrengthsFinder. And it's like, for me, I need everything to be right and just, and I have to be self-sufficient. So if one of those two unconscious motivators are attacked or challenged, I go into a shadow self. Yeah, I get into shadow self. I get overbearing. I get protective. I get rude. But if those unconscious motivators are tickled or satisfied, I'm in the best self. 
But what I like about those three, they're all actionable. If something's not going right, we can actually say, hey, looking at your print, your Colby and Strengths Finder, this is what's happening. Yeah. Like it I had one guy. Real and understandable and yeah. applicable in everyday life. That's why I, I like these for sure. I like doing strengths finding work with people. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and Colby's relatively new. <clears throat> I've been researching that for quite a few years. And mm-hmm. I, you know, it's one of the best ones for $60. You can get that number. Um, and for me, it was life-changing to understand that this is how I work. Like, you know, you don't need that much information. Well, you do. You know what? I do. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, do you offer these assessments through your coaching program or through the work yes. you do with people? Yeah. Okay. That's yeah, cool. we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we're going to link to the program and the website in the show notes so people can find that. Okay. Yep. Um, is there anything specific about the program you wanted to share? Cause I think it's, I think people really are curious about these kinds of programs and what they offer. Yeah. So the, the ADHD transformation journey program I developed is actually three hybrid courses and then graduating into a mastermind uh, like brained community of high achieving entrepreneurs. Um, you know, a lot like for myself, undiagnosed, I came up, I created my own systems and mechanisms. I kind of got 80% of the way there, got diagnosed, and then I filled in my 20%. And, and then with my unique ability, of, you know, I researched the hell out of ADHD and I can simplify it. Um, I'm, I got the programs there to tie in the knots, like to, to connect the last, pu- to me it was the last puzzle piece to keep my bridge up of me up. Um, and the one thing is just, you know, how to understand the brain as the first program, you and ADHD. Um, the second one is um, you ahead of ADHD, where we talk about your ADHD strengths. So if you manage your symptoms, you become your strengths. And what yeah. are they? Right. Yeah. Everyone ADHD is different. And I'm about to finding and helping you identify your unique one, not just come up with a system that let's hope it works for you. Um, and then you, uh, uh, you beyond ADHD is actually identifying working your non ADHD strengths. So that's where we use those assess- assessments and, and really narrowing down and writing down what you're good at and what your value is to the world. And this is, I use that as my measuring stick of opportunities or if I'm going to work on a project or not. Yeah. I think that's so great to be able to identify that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then the, the first one, the master class or mastermind is what I call it. You, uh, you beyond ADHD. And this is where we can go a little more deeper, but we're all entrepreneurs meet regularly and we can talk about the problems and then I can connect the dots or challenges based on the ADHD or whatnot and bring in, I'm really, I really enjoy talking about everyone's strengths. You know, if you want to say, I, I want to do this, I want to do that. So, well, really your strengths are good for that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we need to hire someone or, or whatnot, or let's reframe it so that it becomes, it works. Yeah, like when there's like thing. another part of it that you quite like being attached right. to not the actual execution yeah. task, right? Exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. that stuff I could talk for days and on the spot thinking, yep. that's my jam. Like that's, uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I'm hoping that be gets launched in the next month or two. So March, Sweet. April, 2022. Okay, cool. Is it live or is it asynchronous? It's a hybrid. Okay. Um, yeah, there's going to be some online portion. And then we got like a weekly Q&A session where we do questions are asked and we, there's homework to do. So okay. it's not just uh, do it your, do it yourself only. Right. You're it's, with the group. Yeah. I, I want to work with people who want a transformation and they work for it. I'm not going to do it for you. I'm here to help you understand yourself and move to the next level. And so you can own it. 
That sounds really great. I'm excited to see it. I should sign up for it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to discount, Andre. <laughs> um, okay, so where is the best place if people want to like reach you directly? Where should they? I'll put all of your connections in the show notes, but is there, is there a best spot? I think LinkedIn is probably the best spot right now. Andre Brisson um, will be in the show notes. But you know, for this crowd here, if you, you write to me at Andre at AndreB.ca. Okay, I'll put that in. Um, but I do have a free gift, a little ADHD weekly planning oh. tool I created a long time ago. I called it okay. the shit list. Or if you don't like that, it's you can also get the stuff list. Yeah, I like um, the shit list. Everyone um, who knows me knows I can barely get through an hour without dropping <laughs> some sort of expletive. Yeah, I've, actually, that was my first one. I'm really good because I'm also French-Canadian. So, um, But if you go to tacticalbts.com, you can download it there, click a link. Um, but that's the PDF tool. I use it every week to plan. Um, and this, it, it helped me a long time ago. It still does actually. So, but, uh, that's for everyone to take. Nice. We'll definitely include that. Thank you so much for coming in today. Well, I appreciate um, the opportunity. This is fun. There's so many areas to keep going and to dig into, but I think this give, gave at least, you know, my audience and listeners and the people who are listening such a great, um, overview to a different part of, I think what we talk about sometimes with with ADHD and work life and getting along with people at work and finding your strengths and recognizing what the right sandbox is, mm -hmm. I guess for lack of a better phrase that you should be playing in, right? Yeah. So that's really great. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much. This is great. Thanks. That's it for today, my friends. We hope you enjoy being a fly on the wall for this one. Leave me some messages uh, through the page on Anchor if you have any questions that you want follow up on and please check the show notes for all the relevant links that we did discuss today. If you like the show, please like and share it. Share it in your social media, tag us, dig a little deeper therapy and that kind of lets us know that we should keep doing this and it will help it, the podcast show up in all the places that you do listen to podcasts. Until next time.